Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, I am so delighted to have Dave Valentine here with me. How are you, Dave? I'm doing great. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. I'm excited to dig into Dave and his background because it's very, very interesting and fascinating to me. Dave owns seven businesses, which have generated over a billion dollars collectively. That's right. A billion, guys. A billion dollars. For over a thousand clients, including major brands and Fortune 100 companies like Target and American Express. When his doctor asked him at the age of 29, are you prepared for your heart attack? He realized he needed to learn how to scale businesses without the stress of killing him. Dave now runs his companies from the mountains next to a river and three waterfalls. Using a conscious capitalism and unconventional marketing approach, he was able to rapidly grow his businesses by investing money into his people instead of paid advertising. He wants to be so big that governments can't ignore him because his company take up too much of their GDP. Or simply put, he wants to buy freedom that was stolen by greedy individuals and corporations. Okay, Dave. So share with us, how did you start your career and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so I've always been a, an entrepreneur. Uh, from my very earliest days, my the first thing that I ever sold was a, a picture for $40 to my grandparents' friends as a four-year-old, which, you know, is a lot of money in the late 80s. <laughs> and then uh, I started selling candy and pens and stuff in my backpack as a 10-year-old, had a little lawn care business in my early teens, and I just kind of knew that that was a thing that I wanted to do. I liked the idea of owning businesses and creating my own destiny. I watched my dad do it when I was a little kid, and, and so it really inspired me to do it myself. And my parents were very affirming of, hey, you can go do anything you wanna go do, make it happen. When I was 25, I started a digital advertising agency, and that was really my first grown-up business, you know? And I knew how to do digital advertising, but I really had no idea how to get clients, how to run a business. I knew what a P&L sheet was in, in hypothesis, like in the idea of it, but I didn't actually know how to run one. And so like many entrepreneurs, I just started. And the first year and a half, I actually kept a day job and worked mm. the business on the off hours. So I was literally waking up at five, working on the business for two and a half hours, showering, getting ready, going to work. I'd go to the office and on my breaks, I'd take sales calls. And you know, I mean, it was just crazy. Then I'd come home, I'd hang out with my, my newborn daughter, my wife, and till seven o'clock-ish. And then I'd start working on the business again, Saturday and Sunday, totally dedicated to the business. And so, so I go to my doctor and he says, hey Dave, how do you know you're gonna have a heart attack? And I was like, I don't understand the question, doc. And he goes, you don't, you just have one. He goes, we've tested 4,500 people. You're the most stressed out person we've ever tested. Now at the time, my wife was pregnant with our son, our second kid, and I was like, dude, I'm 29. Like, what do you mean? And what that really did for me was a wake up call of just going, evaluating what I was doing with my life. And I realized a few things, right? Number one, I had stopped taking care of myself. I was a athlete in high school, I was an athlete in college, and I had stopped working out. I'd quit praying and meditating. And that's, something that had been a huge part of my life up through my mid-20s. I really had stopped eating and taking care of myself nutritionally. <laughs> there were days when literally I would go from drinking coffee to cracking open a beer because there was no time in between that I wasn't on go. So you are, I would say, kind of unusual than a lot of entrepreneurs because you grew up with parents that were entrepreneurs. So you grew up seeing what that struggle was like. And it seems like you took a lot of what you saw in your early life and you implemented it when you became an entrepreneur and it really impacted your health. And in order for you to say, I don't want to pass away at 30 years old when I have kids and a wife, 
you had to take your life into your own hands. And so you mentioned some of the first steps that you took to start taking your life back. Give us a little more detail on how that actually worked in practice, how you were able to take those small steps and they kind of manifested and got bigger. Yeah, I I think the small steps, they were small because it was all I could fit in Mm. is what it felt like, right? And I also wanted to get some quick wins. And that's a lot of times people think, I'm just going to go cold turkey on whatever it is that I'm doing. And that can work. I'm not saying that that shouldn't or can't. That being said, a lot of times, one of the reasons why people struggle to hit their New Year's resolutions and things of that nature is because they set this really lofty goal and they go, oh, I missed today. Mm -hmm. And then they stop right? And there's a lot of, again, because I was an athlete, sports psychology has been a thing that I'm very much aware of, right? You make a mistake playing football, soccer, in track, doesn't matter. You have to put it out of your mind and go back to playing the game. And so part of the goal there is just to say, okay, five minute walk, a glass of water a day, very attainable, anything over that's bonus. So now in my brain, I'm starting to feel like, hey, I drink five glasses of water today. I went on a 45-minute walk. I just crushed. Mm. You know, I 9x what I needed to do for a walk, and I 5x what I needed to do for drinking water. I'm doing great today. So it changes the tapes in your mind Mm. when you set small, attainable goals. You're like, hey, I'm really hitting it. And that's part of the the goal there. Uh, And then over time, what I started to do as I built out these lead generation mechanisms that really just started to bring a stream of new prospects in for me is that I started to be able to take more time off. I started to systematize what my employees were doing and telling clients, hey, if you need something done, I am not the right person to do it. If you want to talk big strategy, big idea, I'm your guy. But if you're like, hey, what about the ads? What about the organic social media? What about the newsletter? I'm not who you should talk to. (laughs) And so it was resetting expectations for clients as well that I'm not available to them. That that's the whole idea is that it's not me being available to them. It's my team being available to them. And so as you start to reset expectations for your personal life and for your professional life, all of a sudden, all these fantastic things really are able to transpire And I was able to break free of the day-to-day monotony that was really crushing me. Mm, When I listen to what you're saying, it's, yes, there are actions that we're taking. Yes, there are things that we're physically doing. But more so, what what you're doing, what we're having to do is it's a mindset game. It's a mental game. It's like, yeah, I got to do all of this stuff. However, if my mind's not in the game, it's never going to happen, right? And so... I know from my own journey that really putting in place those small little attainable goals, like for me, um, it was spending time with myself. So it was praying, it was meditating. It was like, okay, I can wake up 15 minutes before I have to get the kids up and I can just do that. And that 15 minutes and then this past weekend, I spent two hours just by myself, no kids, just because I was up at 5.30 on a Saturday. Why? Because my body woke me up. So what do I do? I spend time with myself. And the way that that manifests in your professional life is, I call it like boundaries, right? Like we put these boundaries up in our personal life and then it's easier for us to tell clients, yes, you are very, very important. However, my team that I hired and trained, they can handle you. So share with us, because a lot of business owners and sales leaders, they have that challenge with kind of delegating that work down to their teams. 
What are some tips, some tactical things that you've done to really make that work and make help your clients trust your team instead of you? So first you have to set the expectation, right? Like I have a very good friend, his name's George Bryant. He talks about customer journey a lot. One of the things that he talks about is pre-handling objections before you even get to the point where you're going to experience them, right? So one of the things that for one of my companies, I just tell people they're an outsourced SDR company because, you know, we tried to work with other people, they couldn't do it. So we decided (laughs) to do it for ourselves. And I tell clients all the time, listen, you're going to go through a season where you see big spikes in meetings booked. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, you guys are amazing. Everything's great. And then that'll go for a couple months and then you'll see it drop. And you're going to be like, what happened? Who turned off the faucet? What's going on, guys? Are you not working? And actually the reverse is true. That's when it's like you stepped on an anthill. When the results go down, all of a sudden the team kicks into action and there's a lot more that's going on. And so I just started to pre-handle some of those issues that we were going to have when clients are like, but I want access to you. I'm like, no, you don't want access to me. You think you do because I'm dynamic and I'm fun and, and I've got big ideas. But the reality is if I'm the one that's actually doing the work for your account, it's never going to get done because my strength is in the room in the meeting with you. It's not in winning new business for you and helping you generate more revenue for your company, anything like that from a actual doing it standpoint. I'm just the big idea guy. And so when I started to put position my team like that and just play them up, hey, listen, this is Derek. Derek's phenomenally good at what he does. He's been in the industry for 20 years. Listen to him. He's very talented. Uh, hey, this is Susan. She's great. Like she's been an ad buyer for eight years. She knows what she's doing. She's my protege. As long as you're building up your team, clients will listen. But the second thing is this, to answer your question about how do you delegate that, I really started to ask the question, what would my team need to not just keep things going, but grow the business if I was out for a month? Mm. How trained would they need to be? What would they need to have insights into? What would the things be that they would need to execute on in order to get done what they need to get done? Mm. All those sorts of things would be things that I like really started to think about. And I brought my operator into that conversation and she and I mapped out everything. What that led to was creating standard operating procedures, doing video recordings of screen shares and looms, making sure that everything was documented everywhere so that if I was hit by a bus and was in the hospital for three months, it's all okay. Everybody would keep going. Everybody would keep running. And then one of the things that I did that was really fun was I would do fire drills where I just wouldn't show up to the office for like three days. And my... COO would text me, hey, where are you? And I just wouldn't respond. (laughs) Now, I told them ahead of time, I was like, listen, I'm going to do this sometime. You're not going to know that it's coming. So I did prep them. It was kind of like a pop quiz, though. I was like, let's just see how you handle it. So for three days, I was MIA. Mm. I didn't take client calls. I didn't do anything. And I just watched what they did. And then I showed up on Thursday. I was like, hey, how'd it go? (laughs) And it was small, short, They knew ahead of time, hey, Dave's probably going to do this. We don't know when it's going to happen. So after I didn't respond, they're just like, okay, here we are. We're in the thick of it. But it was only three days. It's really hard to mess things up terribly in three days. And it gave us an opportunity to try out what we had been training on for the past six, eight months. And it really proved the process that you can do this. I absolutely love these days because I used to be, you know, kind of like you, like all hands on, touching, touching, touching. And my team, because they know how hard I work, they're like, yeah, take your time off. And I practice what I preach. So 
When you're off, you're off. I need your out of office on. I need you to sign out of Outlook and Teams. I need everything off of your phone because I need you to disconnect. And so I do the same thing when I take off. And now I can come back from being gone, whether I'm on business travel or personal travel after a couple of days. And there's like, I don't have a million emails. I don't have a hundred voicemails. It's like, because of those systems and those processes and things that we put in place. And again, it's like, it doesn't matter if you're a leader at a company, a large company, but if your team is coming to you and asking you every little thing, that means you're not really leading them. You're not really showing up. You're managing them. You're managing tasks. You're not leading a team. Yep. That's a hundred percent it. And that's, you know, the thing that's interesting is, is that most business owners or entrepreneurs that I talk to, what they've done is they've traded one box for like 10. And they're working themselves across these 10 bosses and they may have a couple employees with them, but they have to work every day. And I can relate to that and you can relate to that. And then when you get out of that, that's when you really own a business. Mm -hmm. When you can go, no, I can take time off, I can leave. In fact, I'm doing this right now with one of my businesses. I told the leadership team, because it's a growing business, got 25 people in it. And I told the leadership team yesterday, I said, hey, listen, I'm not going to take a paycheck anymore from this company. I'm going to take dividends from the profits. It's y'all's company. You're running it. I can be an advisor whenever you need me, but I'm not in the day-to-day. Mm. And they, they were like, okay. And it wasn't scary for them. Yeah. They had questions. We ran through it, but they feel good about it. They know exactly how to go execute without me. And that's really the mark of, hey, the business is working. And. As entrepreneurs, as visionaries at the top of the company, we have that slight, I'll call it control element. And we feel like we got to touch everything. And if we don't touch everything, then it's not going to work. It's not going to be good. And so when we take our foot off that gas pedal and we allow people to do their own thing, like, like for me now, there are people within my company, like literally last week, I was like, you need an assistant and you need an assistant because you are doing so much and you are working yourself out of a job. And so when you are able to hire protégés for people, hire trainees for them. That means that you've taken enough off of you. They've taken enough off of themselves so they can now train. And that is how we grow our company and scale our company without even, you know, going out for funding or doing all of these things, which sometimes you need to do. However, it is getting those processes in place and getting the right people on the bus to execute. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. So you have exited a few companies and, um, you know, a lot of people say you think about the end at the beginning. Tell us the, the why, the what, the how of when you exit a company and how that process goes. So it's different for different people. You know, one of the companies that I own, I help marketing and advertising agencies grow scale and then sell their agency uh, because I've done it a number of times. And a lot of times what's interesting is people don't know how to exit a company. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've I've had clients that they've got a good little business. It's doing 700,000, 800,000, $900,000 a year. They've got decent profit margins, 30%. And they're like, okay, so when I exit, how much can I get? And I have to tell them, you're going to get three to five X on the high end of what your EBITDA is of your profit. And so that changes their perception of what they're doing. They're like, oh my gosh, you mean I've been doing this for 10 plus years and my company is only worth a million bucks at a 4X? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, that doesn't give me a whole lot of runway. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> so it becomes this conversation. You know, when you go to sell, each industry, depending on what industry you're in, has its unique multiplier. 
And I'm in a bunch of different industries. So I've got SaaS products. I own a flight school with my brother. I own agencies. I have a consulting firm. All of them have different multipliers. And they have things that can increase your multiplier. So one of the things that I talk about a lot that most people don't know, I know that you know this, is that codifying your intellectual property, writing it down, having a lawyer put it together for you, will actually increase the value of your company exponentially. I like to call it the equivalent of, you know, if you own a house and you're going to renovate something and you're going to get the most money back, you're going to do the bathrooms or the kitchen, right? And you're going to see that money back fast. Most people believe they don't have intellectual property, but they actually do. Mm -hmm. Now, tech companies think about this all the time. They're all into IP, but service-based companies don't think about it. The reality is the processes that you have, the way that you serve people, that can all be put together as intellectual property and sold to another buyer. Just doing that one maneuver may add another $100,000, $200,000, $500,000 to your sales price. And then as far as when to know when to sell, you know, for me, it's always been a couple different things, right? Like one, uh, for me, I've always gone, I just don't love this anymore. This just isn't what I want to do with my life. Now, some people don't have that luxury, but it, it really does make a difference when you go, I just don't want to keep doing this. And so for me, that's kind of how I know that I'm done. So right now I'm in the process of selling several of my businesses because I, they're great. The people I, I own those businesses with are fantastic. And it's just time. It's just time for a change. Mm -hmm. And that's the best, that's the best way to move forward, honestly. And so that's why we get really excited whenever we do sell, my wife and I, because we take the funds for that. We always make sure we sell to somebody that's going to keep the staff on mm. and continue on the tradition. You know, we, we're really big subscribers to DEI and conscious capitalism. And so, like, we want to make sure we sell to people that are going to continue on those values. Mm -hmm. And it, we've had people offer us a boatload of money for some companies that we're not going to keep that going. And so mm. we just said, no, we didn't even consider it. Mm. And so I think it's just when you go to sell your company, no matter what it is that you're doing, you have to ask yourself, what do you want? Is this a legacy? Is this a retirement sell? Is this a, I'm going to sell so I can take a year off to travel right and then have some extra money to go do my next thing? And what I've often seen is whenever you go do the next thing, you're going to do it better than the thing that you're doing right now. Mm -hmm. Not because what you have going right now isn't great. You're just going to have more experience. You're going to have more wisdom. So anyways, those are some thoughts on that topic. Yeah, I really like the packaging of your IP as a service-based company because, you know, the thing is, it's like, oh, I am the product. <laughs> and so it's like, well, right, how, do I, right. how do I sell myself? I know a lot of times I hear attorneys and um, even CPAs, like, they can sell their book of business, they can sell their practice, but they're like, people come to me because of me. But like you said, it's like those lessons you've learned over the last 5, 10, 15 years, all of those bits and pieces and those things that you have done, that will help somebody shorten their ramp up cycle three, four or five, 10 years, and they will pay for that. They will pay to learn what not to do. And so when you think about, okay, that gives you a whole different trajectory of how you think about your business. And I really like the, when it's not enthralling anymore, when you don't really like it anymore, because I say that I absolutely love what I do and I can do it all the time. And I do do it all the time. And 
I'm in the grocery store, I'm at church, I'm wherever, and somebody's asking or talking about something and I'm just giving them advice and I'm just telling them how to do this or that. And when it stops being fun, when it starts to drain you, and I know earlier on yes. in my business, it was draining me, but it was because I didn't have systems. I didn't have the right people on the team. I didn't have the right people on the boat. So I was getting, cause I'm like you, I show up and I talk, I'm the visionary, but I can't be in numbers, I can't. Yeah, I'm good <laughs> at it, but I don't like it, sure. right? And so since I right. don't like it, right. it wasn't getting done efficiently and then it was causing other things to be backed up. So that is a really good strategy, whether you're a product-based company or a service-based company for how to think about packaging your IP up. And then for people who are like, but I'm working in an organization and I think I wanna start a company, like be curious, ask people who may want to exit their company, are you willing to sell? Are you willing to license this to me, right? Like there are different models. There's not a one size fits all. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. Entrepreneurship's so big, so broad. There are so many different places that you can go with it. I've had dear friends of mine who have just made a boatload of money doing franchises. And that's all that they want to do is franchises. They're like, look, I've already got brand recognition. I've already got systems and processes in place. All I need to do is go hire the right people, create the right culture within that specific location, and then I'm going to market, and that's it. And then that changes the ballgame for them, and they just keep repeating money like crazy, and they're down to do numbers and accounting and P&Ls, and that's their thing. And then other people are like, they're like you and me. They're like, I got to do the creative. I got to do the strategy. I got to have the fun, you know? <laughs> yes. I need big picture. So yeah. you've had a, a pretty dynamic career in life. Is there an experience personally or professionally that has impacted the way that you show up and lead today? So I grew up in the church and um, I'm actually an ordained pastor. I don't share that on many podcasts, but it seems appropriate here. And so one of the things that I had, I went to, went to seminary and did all the things and almost like took that as a career path. And um, I kind of looked over the edge and realized that if you are going to be a professional religious leader, it's really hard to be one in a conservative space. You could be one in a liberal space, but it's hard to be one in a conservative space and continue to evolve. Mm. And so I decided not to do that. But what that led me to was finding additional spiritual teachers that weren't necessarily part of the inline Christian ideas, but that were incredibly helpful to me. Mm. And so part of the reason why I've calmed down <laughs> is not just because I put systems and processes together, and it's not because I've found better ways to sell and generate leads. It's that I really got to this place where I realized all of the anxiety and all of the stress that every human on the planet carries with them is because we're telling ourselves a story in our minds about this act being negative or positive. And then extrapolating, oh, the negative. Oh man, that means if this happens, then that could happen. And if that happens, then maybe I could lose my house. And it's like, stop, just stop. Mm -hmm. What's happening right now? This is not good or bad, it's just happening. Mm -hmm. And you can respond to it, but let's not react to it. So what would our response, our considered thoughtful response be? How could we be measured in that response and think correctly about it? And that's really been huge for me. So many spiritual teachers have just helped me in those spaces yeah. and they've come from other traditions, but it's just enriched my life and my, my ability to perform at a high level in business. I love that. I love that. An eclectic thinker in this realm of spirituality and Christianity 
A lot of people tell me, Wesley, you're not like regular Christians. I was like, well, what do you mean? They're like, well, you don't like, you're not so hardcore. You're not condemning people and you're not this and you're not that. I'm like, yeah, because that's not what God is. And so it's like, I had to explore and learn on my own. And because of that, people are able to see the person that I am. They're like, hmm, so maybe this thing that I turned away from, maybe it's not so bad anymore. You know what I mean? And so I love that you've done that um, teaching for yourself. And I can see how it is going throughout your, the businesses, right? Because you said, hey, when I sell a company, it's not just about the money. I want to make sure that people in this company we've developed relationships with are still taken care of, right? And so for me, that is what I call divine intervention. And that is what God wants us to do, right? He wants us to take care of the people that are under our tutelage. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what is the one best way that people can get in contact with you if they want to learn more? Yeah, uh, you can reach out Dave at DaveValentine.co. That's my personal email address. It actually goes to my phone. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So you're not going to get somebody else. And I also have an offer for your listeners, if that's okay. Yep, go ahead. So my SDR agency, Avidel, will book meetings for you. And they're running a special right now. It's our friends and family special. It's just going to be for your listeners, though. So if you come over and work with us, we'll give you a discount, number one, which is great. And then number two, one month of pay will actually pay for your first two months of service. Awesome. So two months for the cost of one and you get a discount on on the uh, the monthly retainer in the long run. So hit me up, Dave at DaveValentine.co and I'll make sure you get hooked up with that. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Anyone who is looking for outsourced SDRs or in different worlds, we call them inside salespeople, please, please follow up with Dave because that is an amazing offer. Um, how somebody who can open doors for you, book appointments and open doors. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you so much, Dave. It has been a fantastic conversation. Um, Thank you for your time, your talent, and your expertise today. And that was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Remember, in all that you do, try to get 1% better than you were yesterday. Until next time.